I'm Tony Hunt. You're listening to Chain Reaction on the News Roundup. All things impacting global supply chains this week. Well, it's official. The European Union is heading for recession. Apparently Germany is dragging down the rest of the continent. Rising energy prices and inflation are taking hold in the European Union. The 27-country bloc in the European Union will have a contracting economy until the spring of 2023. And Germany, Europe's largest economy, is on course to suffer the worst economic recession in the European Union next year. And it's holding back the rest of the EU. The German economy is forecast to shrink by 0.6%, while the rest of the bloc is forecast to shrink by 0.3%. Latvia and Sweden are also expected to contract next year. Ireland is projected to be the fastest growing economy, expanding at 3.2%. The outlook for next year has weakened significantly since the summer. Europe has double-digit inflation, which is mainly attributable to the energy prices, gas coming previously from Russia. And it's a problem with the war in Ukraine. The central bank in Europe has raised interest rates a number of times, most recently by 0.75 of a percentage point, to try and curb inflation. It's likely to take 12 to 18 months to get the economy back in control and inflation reduced. Now is the world falling out with the tech sector? Well, you might think so. During COVID-19 lockdowns, of course, the tech sector boomed. And they took on lots of additional workers who could mainly work from home to keep operations going. And, of course, demand for goods and services using these technologies actually grew during that period. But since then, the new term for layoffs in the tech sector is to be unfriended, of course. And you've got Meta, which has shared about 11,000 jobs, Uber, 6,700, Twitter, 3,750 so far, the cryptocurrency, about 2,000, Snap, 1,280, Stripe, 1,100, Coinbase, 1,100, Shopify, 1,000, and Salesforce, under 1,000. So lots of jobs being shared in that sector. Now, China in recent years has always been seen as a pro-business country. But is that still the case? We have lockdowns, closed ports, closed factories, reduced output, and of course a resurgence of Xi Jinping's communist state. So does that mean that perhaps China isn't open for business as much as it was? Well, I wouldn't read it necessarily that way. But there are concerns that they closing up of large parts of the economy has certainly damaged the economy. And of course, you've had companies like Tesla having to reorganize manufacturing and Apple changing the arrangements in its supply hubs. So moving some of the iPhone production out of China and into India and elsewhere. It was announced this week that uh, the Californian ports want to ban diesel trucks by 2035. 
But charging stations is the big issue for rigs at the moment. It's, uh, there just aren't enough of them. California has ambitious plans to encourage trucking fleets to switch from diesel to electric. But it'll have to do a lot of work to get those charging points in place. They want to get the older rigs off the road. It's official. Ports in New York and New Jersey are doing 20% more trade volume than they did pre-COVID. It's the third consecutive month that the port of New York has beaten the West Coast ports of Los Angeles and Long Beach. And more global shipping is redirected to the East Coast of the United States. The port of Los Angeles posted its lowest trade volumes since October 2009. New York handled 792,548 20 equivalent units in October this year, which is more than in 2019, nearly 20% more. The West Coast ports, of course, have been plagued with labour disputes for several months, and they've had problems with the rail networks too, and that's forced some of this change to move goods elsewhere. The labour situation on the West Coast ports remains uncertain, and talks continue between International Long Haul and Warehouse Union and the Pacific Maritime Association, so we'll have to see what happens there. Labour disputes at both Oakland and Seattle have decreased productivity, leading carriers to divert volumes to Canadian ports on the West Coast. That's according to Everstream. Of course, some of the heat has been taken out of the supply chain with uh, consumer demand lowering, so that appears to have eased the situation somewhat. There was an interesting article in Apparel Insider this week, and it was about textile waste. And apparently it was talking about the problem of Kenya, where lots of textile waste ends up. There's been an increase in the volumes that they take in, but 30% of the waste imported is pure trash, according to commentators. And we can see well-known Western brands apparently floating in the rivers of Jicomba and Dandora. It's mainly low-grade synthetic clothing arriving in Nairobi, which is useless after two or three washes and it falls apart and ends up polluting that country rather than the United States or a European country. So that's an interesting end of the supply chain life cycle for those textiles. We think when we're recycling clothes that we're doing a good thing, but if it ends up obviously in places like Kenya, where they're having to deal with the waste problem created in the West, that's not good. I think what supply chains need to get better at is looking after the waste in the supply chain by designing out waste right at the start of processes and ensuring that every step is considered carefully not to add to waste or to CO2 emissions more than is necessary and find ways, innovative ways, to do things differently to save pollution, the planet, and the impact on people's lives. So I think that will be one of the big challenges for supply chains in the near future. And I think those big conferences like COP27 don't do enough to focus on the everyday challenges faced by supply chains. And there are too many big interests at play. UK-produced steel is found in every Boeing and Airbus civil aircraft all over the world. It's used in rail networks across Europe and it's supporting buildings that stand up in London's Olympic Stadium. The steel sector in the United Kingdom produces 
7.2 megatons of crude steel a year and makes 2.4 billion direct contribution to the UK gross domestic product. It's one of those industries that needs to be protected because steel is such an important product and we don't want to be in the same position with steel that we are with energy. It's been severely weakened over many years in the UK, but it's time to ensure that we still have the capacity to make good quality steel. Now, in recent times, I went on a visit to an Amazon warehouse, and it was very impressive. The warehouse location was close to an airport, so it was able to receive goods in and move goods out via the transport links that were very good to the airport, so it could do road, rail, and, of course, uh, travel. And what was very interesting about that warehouse was how the robots had taken over the floor and were moving goods around. They were picking items, moving them between destinations as orders arrived. And there were humans, of course, interacting with the robots as necessary and, of course, carrying out their tasks in normal fashion. So Amazon has really tried to turn robot technology to its advantage. And these robots can pick the packaging, they can pick the product, they can be instructed to place it on particular lines and label things up. And so many of the operations involved to get the goods in the packet and off for distribution are carried out by these intelligent robots. Amazon employs about 1.54 million people and it has about half a million robotic drive units as well. Anything to increase efficiency such as these robots, is welcome. Robots aren't sick. They break down, but they aren't sick, and they don't demand a weekly wage. Once you've got the robot, it's there for as long as you want to keep it, and as long as it works. So the capital replacing labour, just like in the Industrial Revolution, is happening all over again. Are we likely to see a backlash with strikes similar to those that happened when the Luddites in the textile industry broke machines and so on, well, I don't think it's going to be exactly the same. But there is perhaps some resistance that will develop if people lose their jobs and, of course, wage levels fall. Ty Brady, the chief technology officer at Amazon, says he doesn't see it as a trade-off between people and machines or people and the robots. He basically sees them working side by side, and he he claims that Amazon have created 700 new roles as they've employed robots. So, perhaps in a growing business that's able to absorb both, that'll work. But what happens if recession bites? Amazon started to invest in robotics about a decade ago, and of course it steadily employed more and more robots in its warehousing operations, and it employed them very effectively. These robots can pick, pack, label and dispatch. And about 75% of Amazon products are touched by robots at some stage in the process operation. And that means, of course, it's 75% of about 5 billion items. So it's big numbers. It's not just employed in a small way, but in a very big way and is central to the warehouse operations. 
These robots, of course, have lots of sensors, and they're able to move around the space quite freely without bumping into other items or indeed people. And some of the intelligent robots actually map the space as they go and store in their memory the quickest route. So these are intelligent robots. Now just imagine a robot that looks after itself is able to charge itself when it's running low on battery, is able to tell the human that there's a fault that needs fixing, and so on. Well, some of these robots do. So we've reached the end of COP27, that's all over. And there was some agreement with regard to the loss and damage proposal, which sought to help poor countries affected by climate disaster. But it doesn't really boost any efforts to tackle the emissions causing them. And so in some respects it's a mixed outcome for the conference. Vulnerable islands have lamented the lack of ambition in curbing emissions. The loss and damage fund still left many of the most controversial decisions on the fund until next year. So it's just delayed them. And that's why I say the outcome is mixed. Including who should pay into it which seems pretty critical if you're going to have that kind of fund. So, a bit of a damn squib, really, is my assessment. But it's cost a lot of money, and it's uh, increased emissions by hurting the conference itself. Lots of controversy. Oil prices fell by about 2% this week. It's a second weekly decline. It's due mainly to weakened demand in China, and the further increase in U.S. interest rates. Brent crude finished the week on about $87.62 a barrel. Well, there's more disruption in China this week. Beijing's biggest district has urged residents to stay home as COVID cases rise. And of course, once again, China in lockdown. It's Beijing's most populous district, and they've urged people to stay at home after the weekend. The number of COVID cases has risen. Many businesses have shirt and schools in the area shifting classes online. So here we are again and COVID hasn't gone away. China is still, of course, trying to ease the impact of containment measures because they're concerned about the economy and it frustrates everybody. But here we are still with COVID cases on the up. 621 new infections for Saturday, up from 515 a day earlier. And at 3pm on Sunday, a further 516 new infections. China has reported 24,435 new COVID-19 infections for November the 19th. That's down slightly from 24,473 a day earlier, but near highs clocked in April when Shanghai, China's largest city, was in the midst of a COVID outbreak. It led to a two-month lockdown. So we're still not out of the woods with regard to COVID. Well, we're in the busiest selling season for the year right now. It's peak demand, or should be, because we're on the run-up to Christmas, and that's when everybody buys goods. It's when retailers do most of their business for the year. And if you ain't sold your inventory by December the 26th, then sales have to happen rapidly, because you don't want to be left with stock. So if you've piled in the inventory to satisfy customer demand but it doesn't happen, that can be a big risk for many retailers, even the biggest. 
And the bigger ones will be holding more stock, of course. So that's a serious issue. But managing this peak demand can be a problem too. And this is why retailers have these Black Friday sales. And that's happening right now. But there don't seem many bargains around. There's lots of Black Friday items and things labelled as Black Friday. But some of that will be inventory that's been around for some time. And from what I've seen, I've done a quick survey around, having a look on various websites, I've looked in stores, and I don't see really a lot of value in the goods that are being put through the Black Friday sales. And I just wonder whether Black Friday's kind of had its day. I'm not sure, but there are signals there. And I know times are difficult right now for everybody. So that's just a quick update on peak demand. And of course, if you want to listen to more on peak season demand, then you should listen to my conversation with Mario Paganini from Stored and catch up with that episode. There's some great tips in there, of course, for people managing supply chains too, both in the B2B space and the B2C space. So pick that one up when you get a chance. There was another piece of news this week about cryptocurrency and FTX, and they've got debts to creditors of about $3.1 billion. But the CEO is being accused of moving his funds offshore to the Bahamas after the company got into difficulties. Carvana announced at the end of the week that there was another round of job cuts and it will impact about 1,500 employees, 8% of its workforce. It's attempting to cut costs amid falling demand for used cars. And this is all caused by interest rates. The rising interest rates, of course, put consumers under pressure, and so demand not as high as the cars become more expensive because of the financing operation. The chief executive officer, Ernie Garcia, said that the company faced economic headwinds from higher financing costs. It's difficult to know how this will all play out, but it's a very difficult situation for the company right now. The job cuts come mainly to employees in the corporate, technology and operation departments. Demand for used cars has been hammered by hybrid working models and, of course, the higher cost of interest. Most cars are funded by loans and consumers right now are under pressure to cut their own costs. Of course, as demand falls, the price of these used cars full, so you've got your balance sheet going down with the assets as well, with those asset values falling. So difficult times. Carvana had already laid off about 2,500 employees, or 12% of its workforce, earlier in the year. Sticking with cars, Tesla recalled 321,000 vehicles this week because of a problem with the rail light. The Soccer World Cup kicks off on Sunday the 20th of November in Qatar. And the day before, they decided that they weren't going to have beer in the stadiums. So no alcohol. Bit of a blow for Budweiser, who are sponsoring the event. I'm guessing there'll be many disappointed fans turning up to football matches expecting to have their beer, as they normally would at any other World Cup. And they find that Qatar is dry. Hmm. No, I think if you were Budweiser, you'd be pretty miffed with the authorities, FIFA, for not keeping to the deal. 
which was to have beer in the stadiums. If you sponsor an event, you expect to regain something for that sponsorship. Now, I know Budweiser will get the advertising, but not to have the beer. What about the fans? And what about those people that have worked in supply chains to get these things to the event in time? There are some concerns over a potential rail strike in the United States, and this could really hamper farmers and agricultural produce, which is carried by rail. So uh, the sooner that one gets sorted out, the better. Some of the Midwest farmers are quite concerned about the issue. Well, that's it for this week's News Roundup. I'll see you in the next edition of Chain Reaction, when hopefully you'll join us to add value to your supply chain. But for now, I'm Tony Hines. I'm signing off, and I'll see you next time. Bye for now. The Chain Reaction Podcast was written, presented, and produced by Tony Hines. Hi, I'm Tony Hines. I'm here to tell you about the Chain Reaction Podcast, all about supply chain advantage. I've been researching and writing about supply chains for over 25 years. I wrote my first book on supply chain strategies in the early 2000s. Each week we have special episodes on particular topics relating to supply chains. Now we have a weekly news roundup every Saturday at 12 noon. All things impacting global supply chains in that week. So come and join us on the Chain Reaction Podcast. I look forward to seeing you there. I'm Tony Hines. I'm signing off. Bye for now.